Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Welcome to Latart on Location. I'm your host, Steve Latart. And folks, when you've spent more than 20 years of your life traveling the road, first as a NASCAR crew chief, and now as an analyst on NBC, you are bound to meet some interesting characters along the way. With Latart on Location, I try to bring you closer to some of these personalities I've connected with in a whole bunch of great locations. So sit back and get ready for some off-the-grid conversation. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s. 1975 to be exact, with semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch. It's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie, and fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. All right, so joining me on this edition of Latart on Location, I'm really not sure why I'm interviewing her and she's not interviewing me because my guest, Jamie Little, TV personality, broadcaster, uh, the list is long, Jamie, I'll be honest. I, I don't want to give you all your accolades now because I think it would take up most of the podcast, but thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. It's fun to chat with you again, Steve. I used to talk to you in the garage all the time and, and now we're just opposite ends of the season, you know? That's it. Between the pandemic and the flip TV schedule, we definitely don't cross paths. There's a lot I want to cover, um, kind of from your start in the motocross days to now your current position as not only pit road reporter, uh, host for some studio shows, but a big deal, play-by-play for the Arkham Menard series, which has been a lot of fun. Uh, but let's kind of start with, okay, this is supposed to be the Tartan location. We're both remote. This has been a, a crazy <laughs> time in COVID. So help me, are you indie-based now or back on the West Coast? Yes. So I'm indie based. I've been here about three and a half years. So it's ironic because, yes, I'm a West Coast girl, grew up on the West Coast, covered the Indy 500 and IndyCar series for 11 years, never lived in this city. And then as soon as I stopped covering IndyCar, I moved to Indy. So go figure. But yes, that's home now for us in Carmel, just outside the city. And uh, it's a great town. People are just amazing here. And it's an awesome place to raise kids. So uh, I'm excited to talk to you about the Indy 500 because I've convinced NBC somehow uh, to let me go up and join in the coverage for both qualifying weekend and the Indy 500. I've never been able to cover one. I actually have never seen one in person. Um, I've been to Carb Day, but, you know, me, I'm a NASCAR guy. So uh, Coke 600 is just down the street. I'm always here for Memorial Day. So so give me the uh, inside scoop. Is it as awesome as it looks on TV? It is, Steve. It's something that every person should experience, whether you're a race fan or not. And it's funny, I always talk to people because I'm always doing the Coke 600. Now I can't be in Indy, you know, for the event, but everybody wants to talk to me on that Sunday morning about what's IndyCar really like? What's the Indy 500 really like? It's hard to explain. It's hard to describe. I've been very fortunate to get to cover the Daytona 500 as well as the Indy 500. 
But I have to say, there's nothing more special than the Indy 500. I mean, the vibe that morning, Steve, you could be there all days leading up to that race. But the morning of the race, that cannon goes off and people start coming in. The bands start playing. I mean, everything is magical. I get chills thinking about it right now. And I got to be there for 11 years. It's just, it's incredible. It's special. There's like a spiritual side to it. All the lives that have been lost there, the race car drivers that have come through there. Um, it's just unlike anything else. So I'm known as a NASCAR guy, but through and through, I'm just a motorsport fan. And um, I had a chance to stay a couple years ago and I didn't take it because all my buddies were working. I was up there with Dale Jr. He had to be on the air and everybody was on the air. And I didn't want to experience it by myself, as silly as that may sound. I'm like, I, you know, by myself standing on pit road just doesn't sound like the greatest time. But uh, this year I'll get to be part of the coverage. It's going to be exciting. Uh, I, you, you've, you've only you gave me the goosebumps. I'm fired up and ready to go to Indy. So talk about that. Indy base now, a West Coast girl. So you're one of... I call it the educated ones. So you went to college for journalism. You're actually using, I didn't even go to college. Um, I can't believe they put me on TV now. So how does a journalism major find their way into, I'm going to call it motocross, extreme. I mean, you. Yeah. I knew you, Jamie Little, from that side of the world before you ever showed up in the NASCAR community. Yeah, it's funny, Steve. I actually found my way into getting a degree and going to college because of my love for Supercross. I was obsessed with Supercross. I was just a huge fan. I hung out with the boys. I wanted to be like the boys and ride dirt bikes and talk about them. And I would watch the races on TV. And something just dawned on me one day after I graduated high school, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't want to go to college. I couldn't stand school. And something told me, you should be doing that. You should be the one talking to these riders, bringing the stories to the people at home. There's got to be female fans out there like me and I started down that that path. And I mean, it's a long story, but I started being the one holding the microphone in the shot, asking the questions, but didn't get on TV. And then finally ESPN saw me do that long enough. And when all that was happening, I decided, you know what? I should probably get my degree to have that to fall back on. So I started getting uh, my degree at a local community college in San Diego, ended up transferring to San Diego State, getting my journalism degree since that's what I, I was in love with. And it was the best thing I could have done. Um, if you get a journalism degree, it teaches you how to write. And when you learn how to write, you learn how to speak. And uh, i that's always my advice for people if you want to get into this business. That is, it's fascinating. And I love kind of the um, the blue collar approach, if you will. You know, that's that's how I was raised. Um, I get a chance to talk to a lot of kids and I tell them all the time, listen, I, I'm not knocking an education. You need to get an education, but don't think an education substitutes some some blue collar days, some hard work, figuring out how you're going to fill your Rolodex. Cause that's really what it comes down to, right? Is yeah. the right connections and, and some hard work normally get you there. Sunshine and 70. That's what I call San Diego. Little inside joke with oh, Doug Duke. I, I've never been to San Diego, but it's like the most perfect weather in the world. So why not go to college there? I guess it is. And you know, that was um, kind of the epicenter for Supercross. All the riders live in Southern California, just like, you know, NASCAR is in Charlotte. Um, and it was funny. And you say that blue collar work. I mean, I started going to San Diego State. I'd go Monday through Friday, do my classes, get on a plane and I would be the live announcer for the Supercross series. So I was talking to everybody in the stands. I did that for probably four years. I was getting paid like started out 500 bucks mm -hmm. to the races. And I thought I was rich. I mean, the bottom line is you don't do it for the money for a long time. You don't even think about what you're making because you love what you're doing and you know it's going somewhere. 
Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Talking to Jamie Little, probably best known as pit reporter in the in the world of NASCAR, making the transition into the booth. We're going to catch up that uh, in a little bit. I've, I've seen you in the booth for some practices, but now you get the shot at the play-by-play for the Arkham Menard Series. Next to my old buddy, Phil. I got to see what it's like <laughs> to work next to Phil Parsons. But talk about... So, so you you do the Supercross, and then you kind of show up on the scene with ESPN, the Indy 500. Um, so, so try to explain to the viewer at home, because I'm learning this. I was the guy on the other side of this conversation, and you would show up on a Sunday and ask me my thoughts about the day. You know, most sporting events, there's a team on one side, a team on the other. Most TV people have meetings scheduled with coaches and quarterbacks and things like that. I have learned that the world of motorsport is very difficult to do your homework. Take the the listener into how do you prep? If you're on pit road for an upcoming NASCAR week, what what is your week look like and what do you try to accomplish when you get to the racetrack? It's funny. I always tell people it's not a a job. It's a lifestyle. (laughs) You can't get away from NASCAR when you cover it. It's part of your life every day and social media has made it more so. I mean, Every time I look on Twitter, there's some kind of news with some team and you need to be on top of it because when I get to the racetrack, those are the guys I'm going to be covering. And I better know like, hey, earlier this week, they announced this is happening. And when you get to the racetrack and it's so different now, I hate to talk about, you know, life with the pandemic, but it does make our job even more condensed, harder than it ever was. Because before, Steve, as you know, I mean, you guys had practices, you had qualifying, we would get to cover those. And those storylines build up until you get to the race, you have a baseline to go off of. We don't have that now. We show up at the racetrack and you got to get darn creative talking to you crew chiefs about a story for the day because nobody really knows what that car has or what it's going to be like or what's going to happen at the race that day. Um, So you have to live it. You have to love it have to be inside and understand what's happening. And and the morning of the race, though, that's my bread and butter. That is my favorite time, Steve. That's when, you know, we know what our pits are. So Regan Smith and I are the two pit reporters. We do all the races. We're doing all the series, Trucks, Xfinity, and, and Cup this year. So we'll get split. You decide, like, okay, this is my half of the guys. These are the crew chiefs I need to talk to today. You can't talk to all of them. You have to figure out, take your best guess who's going to be talked about who's going to be in the mix that day and then I go you know holler to holler and you start talking to your crew chiefs 10 to 15 minutes each pick their brain get ideas half the time you're just talking about life and raising kids and things outside of racing but you know we're all great friends and that's what I love though because those are the stories that the press isn't hearing not everybody else is hearing I have that story and that's what I get to bring to the viewers so okay we're gonna have to we're gonna cheat a little bit here give the fan um Who's the easiest crew chief to just sit down, talk to, and get the story from? Gosh. Because you know I'm going to follow this up with the hardest. So start thinking who you're going to put on, who you're going to put on notice as the most difficult. Oh, gosh. There's always the – I mean, you have your go-to guys. I really like Alan Gustafson. You know, I I feel like he's a straight shooter with me. Um, 
you know, he's not going to give me all of his secrets, but he's going to tell me kind of the story, like they're struggling this year and, and he'll tell me what's happening. And, um, he's fun to talk to. He's interesting outside the racetrack, you know, um, gosh, uh, there's, they're all great. I mean, they really are. Everybody's good. Some are better at others, um, at giving us information. You were one of the great ones. I just couldn't write as fast as you talked. That yeah, well, was- that has to slow down, unfortunately. I'm trying to <laughs> slow it down on TV. That's probably the biggest feedback I get is the producer would be like, Steve, that was really good, but you need to back it down a little bit, a little slower. Yeah. So You know who reminds me of you now is Cliff Daniels, crew chief oh. of Kyle Larson. He, I'll walk up in that holler and I'll ask him one question and away he goes. And I've just got to be writing, trying to stay up with it. He gives me great sound bites, great things I can use for the race that day like you did. But I'm afraid I'm going to miss something because you give me everything I need right there. And that makes our lives easier. Then we can move on to our next guy. Um, but then there's other crew chiefs that are, they're just kind of harder to pull stuff out of. Um, uh, ben Bayshore is one. He's, you know, he's Kyle Bush's crew chief this year. He's an engineer. And a lot of those engineer guys, when they're new in the crew chief role, they're like, what am I allowed to say? What do I need to do? Um, That's so funny. because So I have, they're all very helpful to your point. Everyone wants us to do our job the best it can be for the fan, right? They understand their entertainment. Event. But the engineers, and I love them, but sterile. <laughs> I mean, they're so sterile that they answer every question. But, man, if you don't ask the right question, you do not get the information you need. So uh, I haven't had many conversations with Ben new in the Cup Series. I don't take over till the second half when you guys on Fox are done. Uh, even Rodney chose. Rodney and I are good friends. Um, but, man, you know, there's not a lot of extra fluff with Rodney. You better ask the right questions if you want to get the answers. That's exactly right. There's not a lot of fluff. And God love Rodney. He's so sweet, but he's just – He's just real mellow, and I just oh, yeah. don't have much to say. And, you know, ask me a question, and I might give you a good nugget. <laughs> Jason Burnett and Rodney, I I, um, I tease them both. I call them Eeyore because, like, like well, I don't know. Kind yeah. of cloudy, might rain. So, yeah. No, it's fun talking to Jamie Little about all of her roles throughout motorsports, uh, pit reporter. So I'm going to swing back. We're going to finish this with the play-by-play. Excited to get your opinion about it, your your thoughts, how it's gone so far. But I have some other things that are not motorsport related that I'd love to jump into. The first, because it's near and dear to my heart and my wife's heart, is your franchises with the Bunt Cakes. So I'm going to tell you this story. We The first time one showed up here in uh, Burkdale, near where I live in North Carolina, and we got them for a birthday party. And we you know, didn't really know about them. And there's these mini, if you've never heard of them, you're a listener, it's nothing bunt cake. I'll let you do the promo. But these, these little bunt cakes, and they're magical. And my wife disappears in the middle of this birthday party. This is years ago now. And she comes back. I said, what did you do? She goes, I don't want to admit this, but I took the last all chocolate cake and took it into the bedroom and ate it before anybody else took it because it's <laughs> so good. She goes, I had no idea it was going to be that unbelievable. It was so good. I had to have it. So you are this fit workout person, super healthy, yet you own this delectable uh, <laughs> franchise for this bun cake. So first of all, how are you in it and how is it going, I guess? It's going awesome. You just sold it right there. I have not met a person yet that's tried that cake and not had that same response. People love it. And it's funny, it actually started in Las Vegas, um, I think 22 years ago, and, and that's where I'm from. 
And so bunk cakes, nothing bunk cakes was part of every celebration. They're just amazing cakes. And you were talking about the buntini. So you can get them by the dozen. You can get all different flavors. They're the little guys. And then we have buntlets and, and we have eight inch cakes and 10 inch cakes. And we do deco kits for birthdays and any celebration. Um, and we always have 10 flavors. Well, Cody, my husband and I loved them so much that we already had a couple Jimmy John's franchises in Vegas, but we knew we were going to move to Indy. We want to raise our kids in Indy. And we thought, let's bring nothing bunk cakes to Indy. And I couldn't be happier. We just opened our second one last week. And uh, I'm kind of known as like the cake lady around here. I mean, forget racing. I'm the I'm the cake girl here. Oh, that's spectacular. So listen, if you're around Indianapolis, go check them out. I can assure you, um, however many you think you need, buy extra. Because yeah. they are they are magical. Uh, it's great. So I wondered how that was. Because I remember you had the Jimmy John stuff. And then... And I was like, all right, so I can see her with a healthy turkey sandwich, a little avocado, West Coast, something <laughs> going on. But the cakes I didn't get. But uh, I'm going to give credit to Cody then because he seems like, while you're both very fit, Cody and I seem like we could sit down and, and have a couple beers and maybe some bunk cakes. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we, we don't hold back. I mean, I eat well, yes, but I don't say no to cake. I don't say no to beer. I mean, there's nothing better than an ice cold beer after a race, especially. Let's be oh, honest. Oh, for sure. For sure. So the other side um, – that I think the, the listener needs to learn about you is this, this. So you're, you became the face of that A&E show. Um, but it really started with your love. You've always really been a dog lover. I've known you for a long time yeah. on social media, very uh, outspoken about uh, mostly dogs and what's going on and the humane care of them. So, so where did this come from? Is this something like like how many dogs do you own? How crazy could this be? <laughs> I have four adopted dogs. They're all just passed out. If, I wish I had a camera that I could rotate because I always get asked about my dogs. and They're always in here snoring. I have a pug mix from California. I've got a um, American Staffordshire mix. I have a purebred golden that came from a shelter in Vegas. And we have a pure pit bull girl that is like the love of our lives. She's amazing. Um, but yes, I am just a big dog lover. I'm an only child. And I actually was born and raised in uh, Lake Tahoe, California. So you're kind of naturally an outdoors person. And I rode horses. I was a tour guide from the time I was eight years old. And I've just always had a huge heart for animals. And, you know, when I, I got, you know, I was in this job for a while, I realized I had a special platform and I should use it for the good as we all figure out. Right. And, and I help children. I love helping children in those charities and I love helping dogs. So I, I do everything and anything I can. I go to local shelters at the, you know, race weekends, I'll find one in the town and, go donate some money and just raise awareness for them. I just love dogs. They make me very happy. It's funny. I grew up, I was a dog kid growing up. We always had dogs, but now with my lifestyle, it just never seemed to fit kind of what we have going on. Um, so now I, this is awful to say, but we kind of borrow our dog, our neighbor's dog. They have like <laughs> the most beautiful black lab in the world. So when they're like, Hey, do you think we could, you know, somebody could watch the dog? Oh, yeah, yeah, We'll watch. We'll watch because this is uh, oh. it's like the best thing in the world, right? Cause then you get to hang out, but you don't have the responsibility because there are a lot of responsibility. Um, and my wife basically has two kids and me, which is like three kids. So yeah. she didn't have room in her life for three kids and a pet. So uh, <laughs> no dogs here. Um, I was always wondering kind of how that came. But the only child thing is interesting because I know a couple other only child and they're big pet people. It must be how, I guess, companionship growing up kind of. all. Yeah. I mean, I, Although I, I'm I, getting jealous. San Diego, Tahoe, Vegas, like every vacation city you've lived in. Except for Indianapolis. And people are like, why Indianapolis? And my husband pointed out the other day since we lived here, none of my friends have visited me here. It's funny how that works. Only because of COVID. Because what <laughs> Indy is, is an event town. And when this all goes away between Final Fours, Super Bowls, Indy 500s, 
you can be able to Airbnb rooms to all your uh, husband's friends because they're all going to want to come stay. And I know where you're at north of the city up there. It's beautiful. I have some other friends that live up there. Um, although I won't lie, just a few weeks ago, um, snow. I mean, really? Last week, Steve, I got three inches of snow mm. right outside my office window and it was 80 yesterday. So, I mean, I do love that part. In Las Vegas, you don't get many shifts. It's hot and it's not hot. And that's right. it. It's not cold. Um, so I, I do really, really enjoy it here. And you know what's crazy? The pandemic, and I'm sure you've seen it too. People from the big cities, New York, anywhere, you know, the big cities in California, people are looking for property. They're looking to move out, raise their kids on property. We are blowing up where we live right now. I mean, you can't find property around here right now. It's insane. So a lot of people are wanting to move here for the same reasons that we did. Yeah, so you're years away from this story, I'm getting ready to say, because you have children, but much younger than mine. My son is a junior. We're going the college tour thing now. Uh, Vanderbilt's is number one. So I got to go to Nashville, and that reminds me, like Indy, Nashville, Charlotte, that mid-sized city, great airports, some sports teams, but still, um, I don't want to use the word affordable because anything can be overpriced, but there's still land available is maybe a better word, kind of on and around the city. Yes, exactly. And then you can have the best of both worlds. You're 20 minutes from the city, and then you could be out here and have your chickens and your horses and whatever you'd like. So that's my next goal. We keep looking every day for that right property to pop up and then look out. I'm going to be running a rescue ranch like Chrissy Newman. Yeah, I was going to say, you're going to have a whole bunch of, of dogs running around. Talking to Jamie. Yeah, that's right. Talking to Jamie. So um, the one interesting thing about doing these remote is you get to kind of cheat and see what people's lives are like. And I'm looking at that. You got the lighting down because I have a reflection on my light. I still haven't quite, it quite figured out. But uh, I like the backdrop, the Tony Stewart bobblehead. You got the Toyota helmet from the big championship when you were a driver. I mean, you, you've got a lot going on back there. But kind of over your right shoulder, I see the little Arca series right there. And I want to have a conversation about this because, um, first of all, congratulations. So well-deserved. I think you've done a great job. But take me all the way back. I know it was announced last November. Um, I know he had done some practices, but when did the conversation start when they were going to kind of, because look, I do practices from the play-by-play seat to fill them in. Big difference between a practice and, oh, hey, by the way, here's the stick mic. We're getting real fancy. No more headsets. Yeah. And you're going to do an on-camera for the race and call the race. When did those conversations start and, and nerves, excitement? Where did you land on it? You know, it's really interesting. I've been doing this. This is my 20th year being a pit reporter. I mean, I've been doing it a long time from, you know, as you mentioned, Supercross, X Games, IndyCar. I started in 2004 was my first Indy 500, NASCAR since 07. And I just never looked at a role as, you know, anything else than being a pit reporter. I always looked at the booth as something that the really good veteran broadcasters do, and they all happen to be men. I just never thought of like, that will be me one day, or that's something I aspire to do. I just thought it was out of my league, to be honest. And, you know, through the pandemic, we all had to get creative and come up with new ways to contribute to our networks and be part of it and still, you know, bring the fans, the drivers. And it's funny, one day I was I was just driving, it was raining, and I get a call, and it's Lee Diffie, your, you know, co-worker. Yeah. And Lee's like, Jamie, I was like, what? What's up, Lee? Like, we're friends, but it's not like we just pick up the phone and call each other. He's like, I have an idea. He's like, you might think I'm crazy, but they're doing, ladies are taking over play by play in other sports. You need to be the one to do it in NASCAR. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting that you said that. And I have been in the booth a couple times before. I Adam Alexander had a family thing happen and, and I filled in for him for a couple practices. So I was like, 
wow, I kind of liked it. It was a lot more fun and interesting than I ever anticipated. And when he said that, I thought, you know what, why not? I'm not getting any younger. I've been doing this plenty of years. Um, I've paid my dues. Why not just give it a, a chance? And I've never been bashful about letting my um, ideas and my dreams, um, you know, out there for people to know. Um, and I called my boss. I literally went home that day. I emailed him and said, hey, I've got an idea. If there's ever an opportunity, I'd like to try play-by-play. -play. Just, you know, throw me in there. I just want you to know. Because they can't read our minds. That's what I always tell people. If you want to do something, you have to let the right people know. And he's like, okay, I really like it. I, I think that's amazing. But, you know, all of our roles, you know, trucks, Xfinity, Cup, they're all taken by amazing talent. And I don't want to take anybody's job. So, you know, if something opens up and in practice, let me know. He called me back a week later and he's like, well, what would you think about being the voice of the ARCA series? I'm like, okay, I've never covered ARCA, but yeah, then that means I'll really get to do play-by-play -play and it's a regular series and something I can grow with. And, uh, and that's literally how it happened. It happened in a week. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. So it's funny. First of all, you are right. Play-by-play -play people are good veteran broadcasters, and that's why you have the position. I would label you as a good veteran broadcaster. Uh, whether you like or don't like the veteran role, you're going to get the veteran label. Um, you know, one thing for, and you mentioned Lee Diffie. I love working with Rick and everybody I've worked with. I was fortunate enough. Rick had some Olympic coverage, I think one year, and I was able to do some races with Lee. Um, and there's no surprise how he can go from supercross to motocross, from rugby to IndyCar to IMSA. His preparation's unbelievable. His knowledge is great. He's taught me so much working with him. So it's interesting. He was the one that got the call because he's definitely a thinker. Uh, a thinker for sure. Um, so the coolest part of my job is I get to go to pit road some. I love the booth. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you all can have pit road. Uh, it's way more work than people know. You all can have that. <laughs> I just put me back up in the booth, mostly air conditioned. I yep. got a coffee maker. I'm pretty good. But I was able to do this play-by-play -play a couple times because we've done some um, all-analyst booths without a play-by-play -play person. And I won't lie. I'm a talker. It should be easy. But when the producer said, all right, Steve, you're going to bring us on air, I for like 30 seconds, I mentally froze. Now, we weren't on air yet, but I'm like, well, I don't ever listen to what Rick is saying when we come on air. Like, do I say <laughs> welcome? Do I say this is the Daytona uh, summer rate? Like, like the simple words start to spin in my brain. So my question is, you have without a doubt the confidence and the comfort on pit road. It's obvious. And you have the skill set to be the play-by-play. -play. But the first race in the booth, in a totally different position was it comfortable or were there some nerves like give me the real nitty-gritty everything it was everything i mean let me just set the stage for it so it's daytona 
Daytona is big no matter what series is running there. I don't care what it is, even if it's Supercross. I covered Supercross at Daytona. It's big. There's a lot of eyes on it. So this was announced that I was going to do play-by-play in November, as you said. But I did so much media leading up to it. You know, you throw like first time ever for a woman in this role, and it got a lot of attention. And, and that's great. But I wanted to open doors for women moving forward. So I would not say no to an interview. I would I would talked about it until like I couldn't talk about it anymore. But with that came a lot of pressure. Um, I know what it feels like, you know, for Danica in a small way now. And these women who are, you know, trailblazers and, and a lot of people are looking at them to succeed and some people looking at you to fail. And I was not going to let that happen. And neither was my network. They literally brought me in during COVID and we did rehearsals. I, Phil Parsons and I did a couple rehearsals through Zoom, which was very awkward. Yeah. And I started questioning myself and told my husband, I hope I'm not ruining my reputation as a good broadcaster. I'm scared. That was not fun. And uh, we got to do one in person in Charlotte and it was much better next to each other. You can see each other, talk about it. And the real thing was much better than I could have ever anticipated. No, it wasn't perfect, but I had a blast. I was nervous at first, especially because we thought we were going to do rain fill and then we weren't. And then boom, we were on the air. Um, but I think the preparation, it, it set the tone for me. It set me at ease. Um, and then I just took it as it came. There's so many things, Steve, as you know, standing up there, the biggest, most daunting thing for me was looking down at the racetrack, knowing this is all in my hands. Like, don't mess up this call. All these cars are relying on you to get them right. Their sponsors right, their stories right, and the race call right. Yeah, I, I tell people, you know, so in the booth, so pit road is very different because I kind of study the stories and let the race unfold. When I move back up to the booth, um, the best kind of story I could tell everyone is every week I study for a test, but I don't know what the subject is because live sports, you just, yes. you, I mean, is it going to be so-and-so leading? Is it going to be a dominant? Am I, are we going to have to tell stories because the race is perhaps less than compelling? Is it going to be door-to-door action? And we're going to have to kind of call that action. You just don't know. And you have to prepare. So, in your answer there, I, I, I want to go back to something because I'm a big believer that anyone can do anything. I'm a kid from a small town in Maine who didn't know anything about anything but racing. I, I've been at Thunder Road and Beach Ridge and Oxford since I could walk. I, that's all I've ever done. Um, and I wouldn't say I dreamed of being a crew chief, but as I grew older, I dreamt of working in racing and now I've made a career of it. So, to put you on the spot, you know, I didn't. This is maybe a good or an awful thing to say. When you were announced to go in the booth, I think I'm proud of how I was raised is I didn't think of, oh, look, there's a female play-by-play. I don't know. I was like, oh, Jamie gets to call some races. Um, yeah. I see you as just another reporter in NASCAR. But to your point, that isn't the case in the world, right? You're opening doors. I believe anyone can do everything, but someone needs something to spark those dreams, right? Because it just comes down to your point, good veteran broadcasters. People get these jobs because they're good at it. Well, that starts all the way at the beginning, getting opportunity for reps. Yep. So not the nerves of doing the job, but the nerves of trying to set an example. You were aware of it. I mean, it didn't, it didn't go over your head of how many little girls out there, or not, I don't even say little girls, because that's unfair. Young women in their in beginning their careers, the young Jamie Littles of Supercross or whomever it is that maybe didn't see themselves on the other uh, side of the TV coverage up in the booth. You you definitely set that example. Yes. Um, and I 
I thank you for that. I think um, the best compliment you can get as a woman working in a male dominated sport is I just look at you as a good reporter. That's all I ever wanted to be. I don't want to be like that woman or, or, you know, the girl that's there. I, I just want to be one of them. I don't want to be a guy. I just want to be one of the reporters and I hope that you enjoy my work, you know? Um, but going back to that, I saw it from the beginning. I, I think I've always seen it in different things that I've been able to do in my career that, with it comes responsibility. And the responsibility is to set that example and help lead the way for the future. And if I'm chosen in this role, well, I'm here for a reason and it's not for me, it's here for the future. And I hope that by me getting to do play by play, that people think that it's good enough that, that producers of broadcast moving forward will say, you know what? We've seen a woman do it. Women could do it. We've got a great woman here. Let's give her a chance. That's what I think. And, and, you know, it goes back to a lot of people are hesitant to ask for something if they've never seen it before. A lot of producers are hesitant to give somebody an opportunity because they haven't seen it done before. And that's why I really I always commend my bosses for giving me that chance, because not not every network and every boss is willing to give somebody a chance that's unproven. Yeah, it's funny. It's um, I don't know. I come from a world of of. You know, there is no there is no male or female or race car driver, crew chief, broadcaster, pit reporter. Those are like there's no association of whether that can be male or female, because in my mind, it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, when other sports where it gets separated because I guess just, you know, physical attributes, there's a male and female basketball or male and female golf. You know, in racing, there's just racing. Right. Like you put a helmet on and you drive a car and you're either good like the people we cover or bad like me and that's why i was on the crazy <laughs> side right? so you're either that's good what i love about our sport we can have men and women competing against each other in the same equipment on the same racetrack that really sets us apart no it's amazing it's amazing we have some very young talent you talk about the arkham art series it's funny there is there's many female competitors in that uh, we see Haley deegan moving up through the ranks she's probably the most notable currently um of the next one who gets the opportunity so um I hope the listener got to learn a little bit about yourself. We're talking to Jamie Little, a lot of different roles in the motorsport world. Uh, just covered her 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 uh, breaking move to the booth, play-by-play for the Ark Menard series. Where it's my buddy Phil, uh, who is like the sweetest guy in racing, I think, uh, there is. He's just a nice guy. I don't get a chance to work with him because he works over at Fox, but Phil knows the stuff. Phil does his homework. He knows the stuff about all of those ARCA drivers. He's been in ARCA forever, so he's the guy that – you can toss something up and you know he's going to pick it up. And that is such a comforting feeling as a play-by-play person, especially being a new play-by-play person. So he has been a lot of fun to work with. And we get to do it again this weekend at Kansas. So I think we're on at 1.30 Eastern. But, you know, from Daytona to Talladega was a two-month break. I got to do one race in the booth and then wait two months. So now we get to turn around and do it again. But we've had huge ratings increases. So, you know, uh, whatever is is happening, it's working. And I love it. And I appreciate everybody's support. No, it's going to be great. One thirty on Saturday from Kansas? On Saturday, yes, okay. on FS1. It's awful to say, you know, this is awful to say, but, like, starting in June, I can tell you when every race starts. Yes. But the first half of the year, I kinda, I'm just a fan. I tune in. I don't have to watch them. So, so let's talk about the season, right? Uh uh, play-by-play is great, but that's for the Arca series. Me and you both get to cover both Xfinity and Cup. Uh, tremendous storylines. There's a lot we could talk about. Uh, but let's just stick with the Cup guys, the big-name drivers. Simple question. Are you surprised or shocked at the number of winners this year? 
I am so far. I think that's one of our best storylines going into it. I mean, we kind of built that up in all of our advertising and saying best season ever because something just had this feeling that, I mean, the different storylines and, you know, new teams and, and Bubba with Michael Jordan and Denny Hamlin, and there were just all these cool storylines, but something said it was going to be different. And look, we've had one driver win two races and it's just been incredible. That's what fans want to see. They want to know that their guy has a shot at it. And I think the other side of that story is who hasn't won yet? Denny Hamlin's knocking every category out except for the win column. Um, you know, Brad Kozlowski finally just got a win. Kevin Harvick hasn't come close to a win yet this year. Kyle Busch still. So I think the storylines are awesome. I, I love the idea that people keep talking about, will we see 16 different winners this year? I mean, the role that we're on, we go back to Daytona, we go back to Talladega. I think we could get to 16. Oh, it would be crazy. I would tell you, um, Daytona to end the regular season. I, I I think I knew it was going to be crazy, but it was crazier than crazy last year. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. All right. I'm going to put you on the spot. Nostradamus, shake your magic eight ball. Um, I won't tell – you don't have to give me four, but I'm going to make you give me two drivers that without a doubt are going to be racing for a championship at Phoenix. Um, I'm going to say Denny. Even without a win, you're putting him there. Oh, yeah. Okay. Fair. Joey. Mm-hmm. Brad and Truex. All right, so you're you're uh, heavy. You got uh, interesting because I, I so I still have Chase Elliott getting back there. I know Alan well enough. I think they're um, I don't want to say cruise control, uh, and maybe I'm wrong. You see them each and every week, but I haven't seen the panic set in yet. They seem to be pretty comfortable where they're at. So I have them going back. But either way, uh, it's been a fascinating start to the season. We're talking to Jamie Little from uh, Fox, both from Pit Road and the up in the booth for play-by-play. -play. Jamie, I appreciate you taking the time. Hopefully the fans got to know you a little bit better. Um, I, I I have known you for years, but I did get some questions answered. And um, now I know when I go to Indy for all that Indy 500 coverage, you're probably going to be on the road for NASCAR, but um, I'll go look up your husband and him and I are going to have some bunk cakes. Yes, well, he'll be going over the wall for Sage Karam. So if you're there, look for the Dry and Reinbold team. He's been doing yeah. it for 20 years now. He still goes over the wall. So he'll be there. Taking my notes. i got to learn a little bit more about this IndyCar if I'm going to do the cover. So it's great. Uh, good luck. Another uh, another play-by-play -play and a weekend. I don't know how you get it all in, covering three series from Pit Road and one from the booth. Uh, you're a you're a busy woman. So thanks for taking the time. A lot. I don't sleep. And, I, and when I do sleep, all I do is dream about racetracks. Uh, yeah, that, listen, that, that's like the – most people think that's a compliment. I know the nightmare you just said right there. It all makes perfect sense. Oh, hey, you man. have the dream that you missed a show? How about that one? My nightmare is actually showing up for a race and I have zero notes. Okay. That I'm not there and I haven't talked to a crew chief. That to me, that's like that wake up like you're in front of people naked kind of nightmare. Mine is you show up without notes. It's Mine's it's time me. changes. Mine's time changing. Then I'm oh. getting a phone call. I'm supposed to be in the booth and the race is happening, but somehow I forgot it had started. So uh, everybody oh, yeah. has the crazy nightmares. But Yes, that would be bad. All right. Thank you so much. Jamie Little from Fox, Pit Reporter, play-by-play. -play. This has been another episode of Latart on Location. As always, subscribe, rate, and review. Hit me up on social media, at Steve Latart on both Twitter and Instagram. We appreciate you following, and let me know who we should talk to next.
Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 